Father, you are delightful. You are beautiful. Greater than we can imagine. And God, we pray that we would recognize afresh the incredible love that you have for us and the life that you've designed for us. It's above what we could imagine, better than we could ever expect. Lord, I pray you'd fill us with hope tonight and you'd fill us with excitement about Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so we started off talking about that the goodness of God is what leads us to repent, to head back to God. When we see how beautiful God is, how wonderful He is, that's what enables us to actually make our journey back to God. The next thing we talked about was how God is pursuing us. He's come all the way. Jesus has come all the way down as close as He could uh, to pursue us. And we talked about throwing birthday parties for harlots. Tonight, we want to talk about delightful obedience. Do those two words go together? Delightful and obedience? I mean, should that even be in the same title? That's why I ended with a question mark. So you can be the, the judge tonight. You can decide at the end if that's a good, good, good title or not. Delightful obedience. When I was a kid, and when you're, if you're married, yeah, that's a good, that's a good example. Right? So when I was a kid, I, there were some things that really delighted me. Uh, as a kid, I loved cookies. Cookies were delightful to me. All right, this is a picture of right after somebody had sent me a whole box full of cookies. This, this lady runs, or her husband has Bud's Best Cookie Company, and I sent a thank you with my mom uh, for all the cookies that she sent me. I loved cookies. In fact, I loved a lot of similar things. I loved to go to Pizza Hut. I loved to go to McDonald's. I, I loved... I loved uh, Egg and cheese biscuits hold the, 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 the bacon, please. And then I love to end it all with an ice cream sandwich. This was the kind of stuff that, that was delightful to me as a child. I mean, these, these, were, these were the things that were, were really good to me. Now, my mom, on the other hand, I mean, we'd go to a restaurant, and you wouldn't believe what she would order. There was this rest, there's this restaurant in Santa Cruz. Maybe you've been there before. It's Dharma's. Have any of you ever been there before? So you go to, we go to, we go to Dharma's, and there's, this huge menu and lots of good things that you could order on this menu. And out of all the things, every single time, she would choose this. I was like, Mom, you're wasting a meal. Do you know that you just ordered brown rice and vegetables with sauce on top of it? We could have that at home. In fact, you make us eat vegetables all the time. Why order that for dinner and pay money for it? Are you serious? As a kid, I hated vegetables. And not just as a kid, as I got older. I was in college and I still hated vegetables. I remember my mom would make broccoli and it was the worst to me. And she'd make it a lot. And I love her for it because I believe it helped me be healthier. Maybe help me grow a little taller. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't have eaten as much broccoli, really. But, But I remember plugging my nose in order to eat the broccoli. In order to just get it down. Have you ever tried that before? If you really don't like something, you plug your nose, it's easier to get it down. It's just a little tip, a little secret in case you ever want to eat something like that. I, I hated broccoli, I hated vegetables. But my mom, she seemed to love it. She seemed to, to really like it. So here's the question. When my mom would tell me, you need to eat your vegetables, <clears throat> I would eat it because she said so. But I was hating it every step of the way. Is that obedience? Is it obedience if 
I hate you, but I don't kill you. (laughs) Inside, I'm just seething about you as a person, but I don't hurt you. Is, Is that obedience? God takes it to a whole Jesus takes it to a whole other level. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, look, it's not just about the actions, but it's actually what's in your heart. He says, if you have hatred towards your brother, you've already killed him. If you lust, you've already committed adultery. Like, it's not just about the actions, but it's actually about what's inside your heart. And this is actually incredibly good news the more that we think about it. But first, let's go back to that. um, uh, Well, well, Tonight we're going to talk about something. We're going to come to this from Desire of Ages, page 668. If you've never read the book Desire of Ages, it's a classic on the life of Jesus. And it goes through, you know, if if you don't know where to start in the Bible, an awesome way to begin just getting to know Jesus. So take the book, The Desire of Ages, and on a lot of the, the first part of the chapter, it'll tell you uh, these are the, the, the parts of the Gospels that it's based on. And what you can do is just take and read those Gospels and then read that chapter. Just take that simply and, and take time to get to know Jesus doing that and you will learn so much about who Jesus is. It's incredible. But tonight I just want to look at this one line to begin with and we'll come back to this at the end. It says this, all true obedience comes from where? The heart. The heart. Alright, so that's really to boil down what Jesus is talking about. It's got to start with the heart. Now, going back to the screw tape letters, we talked about this on Sabbath, but this is where you have demons talking together about how they can deceive human beings. And as one is coaching another about how to tempt and try human beings, he says this, He made the pleasures. Now, when it says he, it's talking about God. He says, God made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. Do you think that's true? I mean, this isn't the Bible. Do you think that there's, is there like a pleasure that that Satan can come up with or that we could come up with that, that God didn't already design? It goes on to say this, All we can do is to encourage the humans to take pleasures which our enemy has produced at times, or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. So that's, that's the only thing we can do. So, so he's created the pleasures, and all we can do is get those things to be twisted in somebody's life. But God is the one who's created the pleasures. Now, if you think about it, you go back to the very beginning, you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, and it says that God blessed Adam and Eve, and after he blessed them, he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Okay, this is a command. One of the first commands that God gives to human beings is to be fruitful and multiply. What is He telling them to do? (laughs) I mean, we don't have to go into a lot of detail here, but, but God is telling them, He's instilling in them a pleasure that is one of the pleasures that people are pursuing more than any other pleasure. Right? A lot of people say it's sex, money, and power. People are pursuing this, and God designed it. That, it's pleasurable because God created it that way. And because He wanted for you to have that pleasure in your life. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That's one of the first commands that God gives to Adam and Eve. 
Then he goes on to say, and subdue it, have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, those English words are kind of distorted. This is really talking about, hey, care for this planet. Have an overseen, but, it, but it's a big vision of what God wanted for them to do. He wanted them to be really like rulers on this whole planet, to take care of the planet. It was a servant rulership, but he wanted them to rule over this planet. So you have sex, you have money. I mean, these are some of the first commands that God has given to human beings. And it goes on, verse 29. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. What's his next command to them? What does he tell them you need to do? What is this command telling them to do? We need to make sure we're awake. Is everybody awake? We need to stand up for a second. What's he telling them to do? Eat. Okay, does anybody in here dislike eating? Anybody have a hard time? You know, you're like, oh man, I, I'm going to have to go eat again. <laughs> no, three times today? Are you serious? <laughs> Maybe I could just get by with one time of eating today. You see, God instilled in you a desire for a pleasure that is necessary for your life. Think about if, it, if, if eating were difficult for you. That would be a miserable existence. I mean, you need the calories to be able to have the energy and strength, your, your body to grow, and you have to force yourself over and over, and you're like, oh man, God, why did you design me like this? I have to eat again. But no, God designed you to enjoy eating, to delight in eating, because He knew that you needed it for your life. You see, the law of God is not some arbitrary imposed system of rules that God has put on us in order to make our lives miserable. It's a design that he has given to us of how the universe operates. And if you boil it all down, it's love. It's giving. And in all of that, he wants for us to experience who he really is. So, yes, yesterday we looked at how God is pursuing us. And what we're going to find out is that God is pursuing you for the purpose of helping you to return to a life of delighting to do His will. Right? So check this out. Jesus, in John chapter 4, you can open your Bibles if you, let, if you want to follow along. John chapter 4. Jesus, it, it's fascinating what John, the way that God describes what John's going to do. Because it says it like this. John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, But he needed to go to Samaria. I love this. Because the, the, the journey that Jesus is going on, most Jews would go around Samaria. But it says he needed to go to Samaria. Why did he need to go to Samaria? Because he is pursuing someone. God is in the business of pursuing you. And look at what he does when he goes to pursue this individual. And look at the type of individual he's pursuing. If you wonder, like, yeah, would he pursue me? Uh, Of all people, does he really want me? Look at who Jesus is pursuing and look at how he does it. These are the steps that we're going to look at of how God pursues us and what he wants to do to get us uh, to learn to delight in him. First of all, he wants your attention. 
And, you know, living in the Bay Area, <clears throat> that can be kind of tough, huh? Living in America, period. Living, living in today's society, that's, that's tough. We have our devices, like, like Pastor Sio just talked about. I mean, there's constant updates going on. There's constant things grabbing our attention. We can have 24-7 entertainment. We can have constant inundation with work, with school, with busyness, with everything. And God needs our attention. And so Jesus, he's on this journey and he says, I'm going to Samaria. I've got to go to Samaria. Everybody else avoided Samaria, but he says, I'm going to Samaria. And he gets there and he sits down by a well. Now this is fascinating because when you read the story of Genesis, and Genesis is the foundation for the whole rest of the Bible, there's two different times where there's a well and Jacob goes to a well, Isaac goes to a well, and both of them go there in a way to find their spouse. Remember those stories? Well, Isaac doesn't go to the well himself. Eliezer goes to the well in order to find Isaac's wife for him. But Jesus is purposefully going to a well. This well is known as Jacob's well. Pursuing someone and making a proposal to them. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Trying to get her attention. That's the first thing. Hey, And she's shocked by it. She's like, hey, why are you, a Jew, wanting my attention? Why would you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew. You're a man. You shouldn't be talking to me. You should think that I'm unclean. Why are you doing this? Then we find that Jesus wants to get her interest, right? So after she's like, hey, why are you doing this? What's going on here? In verse 10 it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew thee, what does it say? If you knew the gift... Of God. What is it? Say it one more time. I need everybody to say this tonight, okay? If you knew the gift of God. Okay, so we've been talking the last two nights about how it's all of Jesus. How, how Jesus, I mean, we say things like Jesus paid it all. We say things like it's a gift, it's the gospel. But we have a little problem sometimes as Christians who love the law of God, and we should love the law of God. And then what we do is we tell people, okay, accept Jesus, right? It's a free gift. The gospel, accept Jesus. So we accept Jesus. And then we get out our checklist. Okay, so you accept Jesus. So here's the things you need to do now, right? So you accepted Jesus. And here's the list of things that you need to measure up to in order to stay with Jesus. But it's a gift, Again and again in the Bible, it's really clear that it's a gift. Now, now, now to help you imagine this, I did some, a little bit of research. This is one of your neighbors here. It's, a, it's less than half a mile from here. And have you seen this house before? <clears throat> this house, according to, I think it was Zillow or, or several different places, is the most expensive house on the market in the Burlingame area. It's half a mile from here. Anybody want to guess how much it costs? Okay, it's $6,995,000, right? That's not, not too much for, for the Bay Area, I guess, right? $6 million, not that big. Uh, so I want you to imagine, just look at this house. It has nine bedrooms, nine baths. has a spiral staircase. It has a swimming pool, right? There's the little guest house or something. I don't, I don't even know what all is there. I want you to imagine that, that I can make you a proposal tonight. 
I will give you this house. It's a gift. I will give you this house. Do you want this house? Right? In fact, in fact, I will, I'm going to give you so much of this house that I'm going to pay 90% of the cost as a down payment for you. All you have to do, well, no, you know, that's a little bit too much for me. I'm going to pay 75% of the cost, okay? 75% of the cost. All you got to do is come up with 25% in a 30-year loan and pay the taxes on it, right? So here's the gift. It is yours, and I'm giving you this house. And then the next month comes and you realize, okay, so now I owe $14,000 this month. The next month comes like $14,000 this month. The next month comes $14,000. And for 30 years, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a long 30 years. And sometimes we do the same thing with Jesus. You have this beautiful, huge gift. I'm giving you the gospel. It's amazing. Accept it. Hang on, here are the things, here are the rules, here are the things you need to do for the rest of your life. You better live up to these standards, and if you don't, he's kicking you out the back door. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. And who you know will transform what you do. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says, He who has the Son has life. What we need is Jesus. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. It's worth nothing. It's meaningless. It is all a gift. And that's why the, Jesus says to the woman, look, if you knew the gift of God, if you had any idea of how valuable this was to you, you'd be so thrilled. If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew something else, if you knew who it was who says to you, give me a drink. If you knew who was talking to you. If you only knew Jesus. You would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. He would have given you a life that's abundant and full and delightful, that's delicious. Right? So, attention, interest. And then we're going to find that Jesus wants to awaken her desire because she's like, okay, you don't look that special. You look tired. You're sitting by this well. You look just like any other human being. You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get this water, mister? And Jesus responds and says this in verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Oh man, that is a huge truth of everything, every pleasure that we try to pursue outside of Jesus. Anything that we try to delight in besides Jesus, we're going to thirst again. Have you experienced that in your life? I mean, I've experienced it in every area of my life. When I was younger, I used to think I was going to be a, a professional athlete. And so every sport that I would try, I'd try to, to, to become the very best at it, whether it was mountain biking, the bike-a-thon, whether it was, it could be anything. It could be basketball, volleyball. But every time you get to be what you think is the best, you realize there's a whole other group of people that's way better than you. It's empty. It, it was that way for me with video games. You know, you, you spend this time and you... I have this addictive personality where I would sit down and I would play a video game until I, I beat the game. And then I realized I felt empty afterwards. I'd done nothing except for sat there for an hour or two or three or days trying to beat this game. It was that way uh, with so many things in my life. You always wind up feeling empty when you're pursuing. Uh, when I was at, 
going to school, uh, with trying to earn a business degree, trying to earn money. I thought, you know, if I, if I just earned enough money, I became wealthy enough, I could retire early, and then I could go and do ministry and, and share Jesus with this world. But you look at people who have a lot of money and you realize that money really doesn't make anybody happy. In fact, they did a study at Stanford about money. The only thing about money that can make somebody happy is if they give it away. The more money you give away, the happier you will be. So Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. There's always going to be something more, something greater. The grass is always greener on the other side. You drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. That's what we read on Sabbath. Wormwood is talking to this other demon and saying, in the ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. That's the formula for addiction in our lives. We're constantly going after something. It gives us a little less reward, and so we've got to have more of it. And pretty soon we're obsessed with something that is enchaining us. Then Jesus goes on to say, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. You drink what I give you, you'll be satisfied to the core of your being. This is what we need in our lives. But the water that I shall give him will become in in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So then Jesus moves on from there because she's like, wow, this is awesome. And she begins to ask him some theological questions. Like, hey, is this the place that we should worship? And, and she's, she's totally distracted from re- what really matters. And so Jesus realizes that what he needs to do is to reveal some things to her. John 4, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Now here's the thing. We're really good at hiding. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at hiding. There's a lot of stuff in our life. I mean, I mean, we dress up and we come to church, and, and it's a good thing sometimes to dress up because if we're coming for the purpose of dressing up to, 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 to reverence a, a holy, loving God, but if we're coming to impress somebody and to make it look like it's, we're not who we are on the inside, then we've got an issue, right? I remember being, I think I was like 13 years old, when I began to get curious about things going through puberty, you know, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm ashamed of and that, but that I wish I hadn't of hid in my life. And I began to, to, to think, well, I can't get married and not understand how things work. And so I began to research things on the internet. And before long, I find out that I'm addicted to pornography as a 13 year old. And I didn't tell anybody. And I wish that I had. If anybody is struggling with that, one of the best pieces of advice that I can give you is, number one, go to Jesus, but number two, tell somebody that you can trust and say, I need help. I need help. Look to somebody that's not going to condemn you, not going to tear you down, but somebody that will help you out. I wish that I'd gotten help sooner. I praise God that that knowing Jesus really does change every part of our life to pretty soon we look at those things that, that used to be attractive to us and they're, they're despicable. We'll get, to that. we'll get to that in a minute. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Right? So she's hiding. She's like, yeah, I've got no husband. I'm, I'm clear on this one. Good deal. But Jesus wants her to know something. Jesus said to her, you have well said, 
I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In this you spoke truly. You know anybody that's been divorced five times? You don't have to raise your hand. But I mean, this is... This, this lady, she lives in a small village. She's the talk of the town. She's been through five men. Now she's living with another man. She's coming to the well at midday because she's afraid of what people think of her. She doesn't want to be there when anybody else is there. She's hiding from who she really is. And suddenly, Jesus is revealing something to her. He fully knows everything about her life. But that's not all. He fully loves her. Amen. He showed up knowing who she is and wanting to give her the gift of life. In fact, it was needful, he said, or I need to go to Samaria because I'm hunting down this lady. Of all people, I'm looking for this Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, who's living with another man, who's feeling empty inside and who is so thirsty. She's chasing after every pleasure. She's looking for satisfaction in men, and I want to show her the only one that can satisfy the longing of her heart. Amen. <laughs> then eventually he does that. Verse 26, she's asking who's the Messiah, and he says, look, I who speak to you am he. I mean, he went on this mission to Samaria to tell this lady something that he didn't tell pretty much anybody else. He didn't just go around saying, I'm the Messiah. He, he told people to keep it quiet. He told people not to, not to make it loudly known who he was. But he went to this lady to tell her, look, I know who you are. I love you. And I'm the Messiah. I'm here to save you. What an amazing God we serve. So we see he wants our attention. He wants our interest. And He wants to awaken desire in us. And He wants you to know that He knows it all, so stop trying to hide it. And He loves you anyway. And then He wants to transform you by His love. And Jesus knows that He's transformed this lady because verse 28, it says, the woman left her water pot, went on her way into the city. So, so He's looking there and you imagine His disciples come back. They're like, hey, you hungry? You want some food? And Jesus is just looking at that water pot. <laughs> he knows she forgot. She's no longer thinking about the thirst of this planet because she's found somebody to quench the thirst of her soul. And then she goes and she tells him, come see a man who told me the things that, all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Can you imagine those men? They're like, whoa. He just told her everything she did? I gotta, I gotta meet this man. <laughs> He's still talking to her? What is, who is this guy? And sin is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. I love how, how Ty Gibson, he, he quoted that in a, in a tweet that he made. And, and then he goes on to say this, but the gospel is the process by which God redeems pleasure as the thriving byproduct of love. The gospel is how pleasure and purity come together and we come to recognize that God is in the business of delighting your life, of giving you delight and pleasure in your life. You know, it's funny because if you ask Leah where my favorite place in the world to eat is, she'll tell you Dharma's. And if she tells you what my favorite food to eat at Dharma's is, she'll tell you it's actually the vegetable dish now. I would have thought, 
you would be crazy if you'd tell me that I'd ever like vegetables. But honestly, you give me a bag of kale, and I love it. Now, I've got a lot of room in growing to know Jesus, but I'm here to tell you that every area of your life, He wants to begin to transform. And He doesn't just want you to force yourself to go in a certain direction, but He wants you to start with the heart. Amen. And as you get to know Jesus, it changes absolutely everything. You know, Isaiah says this amazing thing where, you remember how he said in Isaiah 65 verse 1, he's there saying, hey, here I am, here I am. That's what God's saying to those who aren't even looking for him. He's saying, here I am. Well, a few chapters before that, in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, he says, ho, and he's saying this is like, hey, listen up, here I am. Listen up, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. You have no money, it's okay. Come, because the price has already been paid by Jesus. Come and drink. Later on in Revelation, it quotes the same thing. It says, whoever thirsts, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy. Stop, stop wasting it on, on what does not fulfill the need of your heart. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. The psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, for your law is written within my heart. That's the new covenant promise. I'm going to write my law in your heart. The whole point is that you're going to delight to do his will. So what needs to take place is a heart change. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. For God is saying this, and I want you to walk away with this. It says, for I desire, mercy is the word that sometimes is used in like the New King James Version, but it's chesed, which is like, I love steadfast love for a translation. For st- uh, sometimes loving kindness is a, a translation that's used for that. It's much bigger than just mercy. For I desire steadfast love, and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And, and Jesus kept telling the Pharisees, He's like, you know, you wouldn't condemn the, the, the just if you just understood that what, what this means. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But somehow we often think, hey, I just got to jump through enough hoops. I've got to measure up. I've got to, if I do enough things for God, that's what God is looking for. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a knowledge of him. He's looking for you to fall in love with him. The Bible could not be clear. Desire of Ages. We're going to look a little bit more at this quote as we come to an end tonight. And we're going to do something to help us illustrate it and really come to grasp it for ourselves. So it says, All true obedience comes from where? The heart. It was heart work with Christ. So, so even for Jesus, it was a, a day-by-day heart work. That, that's phenomenal to know that he had the same experience of coming to rely on the Father, love the Father that you and I experience. Now look at this. And if we consent, what does it mean to consent? To agree to something. To, to choose, right? And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims Right? So he's gonna make himself so one with us. His thoughts and our thoughts will become more and more the same. So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will. Look at this. That when obeying him, 
we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. <laughs> That's what we call impulsive obedience. Could you handle that? Like, hey, I got to do this because <laughs> this is what I want to do. This is my impulse to do it. This is what Jesus has made my heart longing to be. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. Can you handle that? (laughs) The more that we let Him have our heart, the more that we get to know Him, the more that we stop focusing on our list of things to do and start focusing on knowing Him, He can really transform our heart. Now, I'm not telling you to walk out of here and just let anarchy reign in your life because it will be miserable. You'll, You'll hurt for it. But I'm telling you that it's not obedient to just go through the motions. It's not obedience to just not work on the Sabbath if you're not having a love relationship with Jesus. Then it goes on to say, when we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, when we really come to know Jesus, our life will be a life of continual obedience through appreciation of the character of Christ. Through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Okay, so I need some volunteers tonight. All right? Make sure that you're staying awake. Who I need uh let's say like seven volunteers. So I need a lot of people. A lot of people that will come up and help me volunteer. All right, you can come up here. Everybody that's willing to volunteer tonight, whoever's feeling energetic or whoever's needing to wake up, some young people. I need some people from the mother's room to come help me out maybe. <laughs> All right? Anybody can come help me out? Yeah. I need some kids to come help me out or youth or young people, or energetic people, or young at heart. Anybody? I need a few more. Yeah, come up here. I need your help. Right? So we're going to illustrate this. God says that He wants for us to come to know Jesus to the place where we so delight in Him that sin becomes hateful to us. Oh, thank you so much. Anybody else? We have one, two, three, four, five. Do we have anybody else? Two more. I need two more volunteers. Anybody? <laughs> All right, Pastor Sia. All right. Perfect. All right. Come on up. Perfect. All right. I should have told you what you were signing up for beforehand, right? But okay. So I didn't on purpose because you probably wouldn't have agreed to it. <clears throat> Are any of you thirsty? No? Okay. Well, what I need you to do is I need for you to get some saliva in your mouth, okay? I need you to work on this, right? <clears throat> and then don't worry, you're not going to have to do it in front of people. But I'm going to have you turn around in this cup and you're going to spit in this cup, okay? Is this fair enough? All right. Is anybody brave enough to start for me? (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Down here? You'll start? Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right. She has no problem. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Next, can you go for us? All right. You can can turn around if you want. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. She's a nurse, so this is <laughs> she knows what's in that cup. <laughs> All right. Perfect, perfect. Oh, you guys are awesome. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're gonna find out who's gonna drink it here. All right, okay. Once you you can you can all go back to your seat now. All right. Can you imagine what is in this cup right now? I mean, there is so many organisms in here. I mean there's Maybe there's the coronavirus in here. I don't know. Who knows what's in this cup, right? But this isn't enough, I don't think. So I actually went to a toilet, and uh, don't worry, I washed the outside of this bottle. But you know, in our lives, 
We choose a lot of things that are pretty despicable. So this is some toilet water, right? We'll just add to that. Ooh, right? Now we got a good cocktail going on. All right. All right. So, who wants to come drink this? Anybody? You want me to drink it for you? <laughs> okay. I don't think about it. Does anybody have the coronavirus? Okay. So, in our lives, you, you imagine the mistakes that we make, and you imagine how it makes you feel, the guilt that it has, makes you feel inside. I can't tempt any one of you to actually want to drink this, can I? It's not attractive to you at all. It's something that's hateful to you. It's something that you're like, okay, no problem. I'll stay away from it. This is the way that sin was to Jesus as that heart work, heart work took place in him. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was there, and he's praying to the Father, and he's like, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That sinless being who had never experienced the filth of life. And I'm not saying you guys are filthy people, but you know you don't want to drink this, right? He's contemplating all of the guilt, all the condemnation that each person on this planet deserves. He's contemplating drinking that cup down. And, and Jesus, you imagine the life that, that Jesus had lived, right? Jesus, from the time that he was a, a, a little baby, lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don't worry for the deaconesses here. I will be very careful with the grape juice, I promise. Jesus lived a perfect life. Every decision he ever made was based on love. He perfectly loved every person. He perfectly fulfilled God's law. And Jesus had every right in the world to keep drinking this cup. And he's contemplating this cup. And in the end, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He drank this cup and he fell to the ground dying. Sweat was coming out like blood out of his pores. It was separating him from God and it was the worst imaginable experience. And he did it so that you and I could freely drink. And it's good. He says, every one of you can drink freely of my righteousness, my life. You can drink it in. It's a gift. And I want you to enjoy it to the fullest. This is what I'm longing to give you. You keep choosing this, it doesn't satisfy. What I want you to have is me. I promise I will satisfy your life like you can only imagine. Friends, that's what... God is longing for us to experience in our lives. He's longing for us to come closer and closer to Him. And, and you know the thing is, we might try to just like wash off the cup. We'll try to, try to pull out some Dawn dish soap, right? 
and we, we sprinkle it all around the outside of the cup and we, we scrub the outside of the cup as best we can. We make it look good on the outside. We're going through the motions of following God. And that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He said, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside, inside, you're empty. What you need is to actually fall in love with me. So Lee and I, as we were dating, what did I do with that remote, by the way? Oh, there it is. Okay. Lee and I, as we were dating, we were getting closer and closer, and we began to contemplate marriage. And for a guy, I mean, there's, there's kind of a lot of pressure there, because as you begin to think about that moment when you're going to actually make that proposal, you're like, okay, I need to make sure that I know what she's going to answer, but I also need to make sure that I do this in a special enough way, and I mean, it's a full of pressure. And I began to think about making that proposal to Leah. I began to do a little footwork. And one day, I drove up into the mountains, and I went up to this dome uh, near Yosemite called Fresno Dome, and I went up there right at the time I was planning to take her there, and I saw the sunset, and I was like, okay, this will work. This is, this is the spot. And I saw the moon was going to rise on the other side, a full moon. I thought, okay, th- this, is, this is the spot. I'm going to bring her here. So, my parents were in on it. We were all working together, doing everything possible to, so to make it a surprise. She said she, she knew what was coming. She even curled her hair, she said, just because she knew what was happening. But I took her up there, and as we went up there, I, I had in my, my backpack Martinelli's, uh, Martinelli sparkling apple cider and, and two glasses. And when we got up there, I had her sing a song, and, and I poured that for her, and then I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. Best day of my life. Well, no, no, it's, it just kept getting better since then. But it was a good day in my life. So here's the thing. That was an incredible night. Here's some pictures of that evening. And we went down to our house, after, to uh, my parents' house afterwards. And when we got down there, we went and my parents were like so excited. They were like wanting to know how it went. They were wanting to know all the details. You know how it is. And then... Leah said something to me. My parents were in the other room for a minute, and she said, I think it's time. What do you mean? What do you think? Yeah, we're going to get married. When do you, when's the date? What are we, that, that kind of time? No, I think it's time for that box in your closet to go. What do you mean? You know, the box in the... Oh, that box? Well, I, it's, it, I haven't opened that box in... In two years, we've been dating two years, and that, that, that box has just been there in the back of the closet. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. It's, do you think that's... Let me tell you what was in the box. So the box had letters from an old girlfriend, the one that I dated for three years. Had pictures she'd drawn. Had pictures of her. It was in the back of the closet, and... I don't know why it was still there. It was still there, I guess, because if she called, I wanted to be able to tell her, no, I didn't throw the box away. There was still a part of my heart, and and Leah said, look, that's got to go. And I'll tell you, it was a happy thing, honestly, to obey what my wife, future wife, was asking me to do. Like, sure, no worries. I'm going to get rid of that in a heartbeat. I'm glad to give this up. When you fall in love with somebody... It's no problem to, to do what they ask you to do. I remember right after getting engaged, I went back to school. We were going to school at Pacific Union College, and we were playing football. And one of the guys playing football, 
he says, look, you're going to get married. Do you realize what's going to happen? You're going to have to take the trash out all the time. <laughs> I'm getting married to the, the, the most beautiful woman, the woman that I love so much, and you're worried about me taking out the trash? <laughs> when you fall in love, suddenly... Those, that checklist doesn't matter anymore. It becomes something that you realize that the person that you love is calling you to because they love you, because they have your good in mind and you begin to trust that it's the best possible thing for your life. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. I delight to do Your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I'd just like to close with prayer, and then we're going to have another song that Kaya is going to sing for us. But I just want you to take a moment to contemplate in your own heart. Is there something, is there a box in your heart that Jesus might be telling you to surrender? And even more than that, just remember that Jesus is inviting you. He wants your attention. And if you're not ready to surrender something, just keep fixing your eyes on Jesus, taking time with Jesus. And we're going to begin looking at some specific helpful things about spending time with Jesus, getting to know Him in the coming nights. We're going to look at that how your relationship with Jesus can specifically be enhanced. But let's pray together that Jesus would help us to fall in love with Him so that we're ready to surrender anything to Him. Just go ahead and, and bow your heads with me right now and just... Ask Him, is there, is there an invitation you want to make to me tonight in order to come closer to you? Ask Him if maybe there's a box in the corner of your heart, in some area of your life that, that He wants to help you to look at as something that you don't want anymore because you love Him so much. Ask Him to help you to fix your eyes on Jesus every day for the rest of your lives. Father, thank You that You call us to delight, that You actually want for us to have a happy life. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane shows us, that You willingly took our miserable existence onto Yourself so that we could freely drink of the water of life without cost. Father, we accept that gift today. And may we come to know you more and more to the extent that sin would actually become hateful to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.